When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. And uh, I promise uh, there will be no hot ones devouring or gauntlet going through or anything like that. That was for the game over show. Uh, CJ and I will not be devouring hot wings on this week's on this edition of the CJ show. Mad respect to you in Berkshire, because honestly, I would get through like the first one and then be dying. Like everything would be coming out of my nose, my eyes. I, I just can't handle spice. It's not honestly, it's not that I don't like the taste of it. I actually like spicy things, but they do not agree with my makeup so we could do some some competitive eating at some point i don't know like cheeseburgers or something cool but i'm not doing uh i'm not doing hot sauces with you the funny thing is is that last week we had chicken wings together and you went through them like 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 nobody's business so i think you're spreading a lot of tails on this man no dude no no no, i hadn't eaten lunch and it was like five o'clock and i was dying It was, there was nothing competitive about that. That was just survival. That was just like, I need something to go with this beer or else uh, it's going to be an interesting walk home. You were devouring them things. So all that to say, uh, if there was hot sauce, maybe that would have slowed your progress down. But uh, hey, you made it work. I can't believe it's been a week since we were together in Adam's basement. Honestly, like if that feels like a month ago, time is just, is playing crazy games with my mind this, this last two years. Yeah, uh, I I can't wait. I already can't wait until that day where we reunite again and uh, we do a podcast in the same building, whether it's at Adam's place, whether it's I don't know what if like you come to Montreal and we find a space and we do it in the same room. Would you have a like, could we have a setup in Montreal or what? Because I know a guy. I'm pretty sure I will be there soon. Uh, I know a guy. I don't want to divulge any details, but I actually was wondering if I would have to plan my trip about not being there. Because we, I didn't know if we would have an in-person setup spot. So, if you are down to uh, go to a spot that's not downtown, I know a guy. I got you. Don't even worry about it. I didn't know Don't there are spots in Montreal that aren't downtown. Hey, <laughs> you got to be around the city, my friend. Uh, I've only been there the about 122 times, roughly, give or take. Uh, but I don't usually get too far from. I've been up on the plateau. I had some nice meals up there, Maison Publique. Um, you know, been up the mountain, obviously, but I haven't yeah. I haven't toured the suburbs too much. So that, that'll be your job when uh, when I get there. 
All right. Whenever that happens, I'll make sure that happens. And for everyone else who came to this podcast to listen to us talk about hockey stuff, uh, don't worry, we got you covered. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks are going to be mentioned. Uh, I might even make note of a team in my market as well. And now they're doing. Uh, Jack Eichel had uh, artificial disc surgery. Uh, McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are doing very well. And it's Monday. So, you know, uh, it's Ask CJ Day. So we've got a bunch of questions from Twitter questions from discord we'll get to all of that but i want to start out discord shout out discord shout out discord uh Mm -hmm. i don't know how many people are on the sdpn discord it should be upwards of about 8300 by now probably 8500 closely to that uh i will ask jesse blake for the exact number after the show but it is just crazy in there it's insane uh, I, so I still yeah. haven't figured out what's going on when I'm there half the time, but I'm still, <laughs> I just love that it exists. Like it actually like warms my spirit that there's just people in there connecting because they like our show. They like the SDPN. They like Steve and, and Jesse and Adam shows. I mean, that's, that's cool. Exactly. Um, let's start with how let's go from the positive of, of the discord to the negative with the Vancouver Canucks and how things are going pretty bad for them. They're on a four game winless streak. They almost had back to back to back games where they allowed seven goals. They had two and then uh, they lost to the Anaheim Ducks and they allowed five. Why are not to just kind of be blunt with it, but why are the Vancouver Canucks so bad? Do you know what's funny? This is, I'll start with a tangent, but yeah, I was, I was out for my morning run this morning, like 7 a.m. on the Toronto waterfront, and I ran by a guy in a Canucks jersey who was also running. And I was like, man, that is a Monday morning mood. Like, you're out here doing your work, <laughs> supporting one of the worst teams in the league in another city, you know, several thousand kilometers away. Life must um, suck. <laughs> but I'm just thinking, like, if maybe if they had a little bit more of what that guy's bringing, things would be better because obviously he's getting his work done. You know, they're just a mess. I, I don't think that there's, really any way around it. Um, you know, they've had, to me, they've had sort of deep roster construction issues for years. You know, they had cap problems as a result of that. They had too much money allocated to their bottom six. You know, Jim Benning made a sweep of moves in the off season to try to address that, to ship some of that bad money out. Um, and it just hasn't worked. And, and so uh, to me, this is where the issue is. They've got like three significant problems. The roster construction issue, which has existed in time, and they were able to paper over at points, especially when Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes first came in the league and they were turning heads and going bananas and making you not see some of the flaws because of how they could do it. Well, unfortunately, especially in Pettersson's case, he, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the injury last year, I, I don't have a sense what's going on there, but he's not able to do that right now. He's not looking like one of the best players in the game. And then the third one is they clearly have some degree of a coaching issue too. I mean, this, this team is last in power play, uh, sorry, penalty killing in the whole league. You know, have one of the worst power plays in the league, you know, I, sure. They might not be perfectly talented and perfectly built, but I just feel like that shouldn't be the case. And so you combine all of it together and it's like, Whoa. And, and the reason I think it hits harder is because this isn't Arizona, man, like Arizona, they didn't really plan on winning a lot of games this year. I'm sure they're not having much fun there, but you know, obviously they've stocked up and got tons of draft picks in, in the next draft in 2022. You know, Vancouver was trying to be good this year. And, and so I think it hits harder. You know, obviously the chaos is at a different level too in a Canadian market where people burn and care so much about the team when this this falls apart. But um, you know, I, I have to feel some kind of changes coming there. I don't know. Like there's been so much talk. I don't know if it's Jim Benning and Travis Green, Jim Benning or Travis Green, Travis Green and Hutchie. But, you know, I can't imagine with them coming home to play a game Wednesday against Colorado, like 
that like tune in. I know it's late here on the East Coast for some, but I want to watch that game. Like, cause this is a, a notoriously passionate fan base. And based on my Twitter feed, they are they are up in arms right now. And so I think the organization's under a tremendous amount of pressure to make some moves and fixes. Cause again, they're supposed to be good and they are just terrible out of the gates. I I feel as if like Travis Green has to be the first domino to fall, right? Like I, I could see a scenario where it's both Benning and Green, but it has to be at least coaching first, right? Because you, you already extended Hughes and Patterson. They're supposed to be a good core. The players are supposed to work. So coaching has to be it, right? It, it might be, but, you know, if that happens, I'll go back to it's just literally just because that's how sports works. It, it, it always seems to be easier to swap out a coach. It's funny. There's been a lot of research done on this that, like, changing a coach actually doesn't generally change anything. Um, mm-hmm. You know, usually – Put it this way. Depends how analytically minded you are. But usually when a team is is not performing well, you know, sometimes it looks worse than it actually is. Right. They're getting PDO'd. And, and then the new guy comes in and things start to correct as they probably would have if you had a state patient and the team might win a few more games. Look, we've seen it in Chicago. Derek King, the, the Blackhawks have won three games uh, under him since Jeremy Carlton was fired a week ago. You know, maybe that would have happened. Maybe they weren't a one in 11 team or whatever they were when Carlton was fired. Um, and so. Yeah, I could see a coaching change because that is probably easiest. They have Bradshaw on their bench right now, a very experienced uh, veteran assistant coach, you know, known for actually coaching defense and and penalty killing. You know, he did great work in St. Louis and Columbus with both of those two teams, his prior two stops. And so I, I think something like that could make sense just to slide him into the, the main seat, even on an interim basis. But, you know, I do believe that it would be foolish if that's how it plays out to think that, okay, this is just a coaching issue and everything will self-correct. Like, I think there are much deeper issues that organization has to address and they need to make a plan about how they plan to address them. I mean, look, they got the Sedins now working for them. Like, I wonder if this is part of the future going forward. Now those guys don't have a ton of front office experience yet. So I'm not saying you make one of them the president and one, the GM or something like that. But, you know, I, I think that you lean on their experience and, you know, I think they've got to chart a way forward. And unfortunately it probably means, people are going to lose their jobs. I mean, I just think that that's kind of the inevitability of the situation right now. Before we finish the podcast, I have a Sedin-related hypothetical for you. And I don't think I asked you this. I've asked a whole bunch of my other friends about this. I'll make sure to ask this hypothetical to you before the end of the episode. I want to give a hat tip to Lauren Kelly uh, of Sportsnet, who uh, you actually found this tweet. Uh, She did a screen grab, I think, of the latest Canucks game, and it shows uh, a stat highest percentage of time trailing this season. The Canucks are second in the league as they've trailed 52.9% of the time in their games. And I'm mentioning this specific screen grab because right next to that grab, you see Travis Green with the meanest scowl possible. I I laughed my ass off at that. It's hilarious. Yeah, I mean... Trailing hockey is losing hockey, right? I mean, if you you if you take the opposite side of that, the best teams at the end of the season in terms of points are usually the ones that lead the most. I mean, it, it's sort of obvious, but, you know, teams can play differently when they're ahead, right? Especially good teams. And I think that they can play much more structured and not have to cheat for offense or anything like that. When you're always behind, that's when, you know, especially your star players put it on their shoulders, maybe take more risks, create more turnovers. And then you see all the pucks going in at the other end. So, Yeah, like there's not a stat that there's like not one single stat out there, Julian, that paints this Canucks start in a better light. Like you're not just saying, oh, it's just this one thing. And if they correct that, like it's it's systemic. And I think that that's why it it is, you know, as much as 
we joke about the Vancouver marketplace and stuff being a little bit over the top with the reactions. Like I, I don't think the fans are that unjustified here because I really do believe this is a deep, deep issue. And it's not just to make one trade and, and fix everything or, or replace this coach with that coach and everything will be fine. I think it's much, much deeper. For sure. Uh, I, one of my good friends is Sam Chang of the broadcast podcast out in BC and uh, her, her thoughts and feelings on the Canucks basically border on apathetic at this point. And I, and I'm pretty sure a lot of Canucks fans feel the same. And that, that is the kind of thing let's remember, we're still sort of emerging from a pandemic league wide. Right. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of markets, like even strong markets, like traditionally strong markets, like Vancouver, you know, if, if your fans are turning to apathy, I think there's even more pressure because there just hasn't been an opportunity uh, to, to make money. Right. I mean, like last year, the Canucks were bad as well, but they didn't sell a ticket because of the, the rules and legislations in Canada. Well, they're trying to sell tickets now. They're not selling out. Basically, every team across Canada has had empty seats, like way more than we typically see in a season. And so there's there's business challenges here, too. And so you got to weigh the two, right? Do you, do you want to fire someone and have to pay them millions of dollars not to work? Because that's part of a business challenge. Well, you have to pay someone else potentially a million dollars or what have you to, to replace them. Or you know, do you have to take that action because you want your fans on board? I mean, you're selling winning or you're selling the hope of winning, right? And when you're caught in the middle and you're not winning and there's no reason to hope for wins to come, you know, it's a really tough business to market pro sports. Exactly. Uh, to that graph I mentioned earlier, uh, with the highest percentage of time trailing, for those people just curious, the Canucks are second. Uh, the Coyotes are first at 56.6%. Uh, the Kraken are fourth at 45.2%. You'll understand why I'm going out of order very soon. The third place team in that are the Montreal Canadiens at 48.3%. There's another Canadian market team uh, that uh, a lot of people expected them to be at least a little bit better than what they are right now. Uh, they lost to the Bruins over the over the weekend. Uh, they were leading them after 40 minutes, and they found themselves still losing that game anyway after uh, a brutal third period. Is there anything the Canadians can do at this point? You know, I actually see them as a little different than Vancouver. Not to say that everything should be rosy there, but it feels like they've turned a lot of wins into losses. Like, whether it's leading against Boston, whether the game against Vegas they played a week or so ago, the shots were like 22 to one in the first period or whatever it was. You know, I do think that there are more indicators there that this team probably will start to win more games at some point in the near future. But, you know, based on how they've started, the hope of a playoff chase, like, I I, I mean, I, I don't know what the players are saying. I'm guessing because they're players and their job is to win and winning is fun. They're probably focused on trying to get in the playoff race. But, you know, with each passing day, it just becomes less likely. You know, I, the question of Mark Bergevin is still hanging out there. Like at this point in time, I'm pretty confident he's not going to be their GM next season. Mm -hmm. Like quite, quite confident. It would take an abrupt change of heart from one or both sides for that to happen. And so the, the question now becomes like, how does that play out? You know, is that a change made in season? Um, you know, I still believe they're going to hire a francophone general manager after him. So, you know, when you, when you look at it through that scope, Julian, it's a little different than even say what Anaheim and Chicago are looking at with their GM searches right now. Like I think they're both those both organizations like they're they're looking at candidates in the moment, but they're they have the idea that maybe they'll just stay status quo until the offseason and see who else might come available. Well, when you're hiring a francophone GM and Julian Brisebois would be the most uh, prominent name you could have. And he signed a long-term deal in Tampa. Obviously he's not going anywhere for the lightning. You know, the, the Canadians don't have the same challenge in terms of that replacement um, because they're, they're drawing from a smaller pool of people. In this case, they'll be drawing from someone who isn't currently a general manager. And so I think they could make that higher in season. 
And so that to me is the change that we could see there. You know, obviously maybe flip, you know, then we start, they're going to do rebuilding things. I mean, the, the draft is in Montreal in June. So I think they're going to probably try to trade a couple of veteran players before the deadline, turn them into draft picks, move the program forward that way. And, and so, well, it's, it's, you know, you can give me the pulse there better than I can feel it. I don't know that that is as awful of an outcome, say, as Vancouver, because I think anyone being realistic in their front office or head office was kind of knew that a lot changed, you know, like they, they had all their cards in and they got to the cup final last year, but I don't think anyone really believed they were going to be a true contender yet. Um, especially with what happened with Kerry Price, uh, Shea Weber, just a, a lot of change at key positions, losing Phil Deneau and, and free agency. And so I think the Bergerman question has to be answered sooner than later. But then once you get that new GM in place um, and a fresh set of eyes on things, you know, I, I don't see it as being chaotic as what's happening in Vancouver. I don't, I don't know that the same degree of changes are needed to get them back on course. And I mean, Canadians fans, you mentioned it, the fact that they have seen their team go to a Stanley Cup final, at least they can go back to that memory as opposed to Vancouver Canucks fans who have been sold hope. They are supposed to be ascending with the core that they have, and they are not ascending to the heights that they should be at, at least the, at the Canadians with the pieces that they have. They could still be better down the line, but also there are questions with the way they develop players as well. But still, they can at least say, They've seen their team go to a cup final. So, yeah, I mean, if they could do any, I'm not sure if they could do anything right now, but uh, in terms of the pulse as well, the city too, it's, it's kind of weird. It's like a, like a weird yo-yoing effect where it's like, okay, well, maybe the Canadians could build up a momentum when they, they get a decent result and then they suck. And then you have guys going on rants asking if what Jeff Molson's going to do, if he's at right. his breaking point, right? Like it's, it's a very weird time. That's Montreal. why I feel like it's inevitable that, that there's some, I don't know if Bergeron will, I don't know how it'll go down, but like, I don't think he'll coach or sorry, GM through the whole season. I, I think, especially if they keep losing and, and sort of the pressure grows around that situation, you know, it's just the easiest card to play. And honestly, it's a card they should be looking to play because if he's moving on, which it seems like he is, like they should want to identify who that next person is as soon as possible, get them in the door, get them to get their eyes on things because, you know, most GMs, the first year in the job, like you're just figuring out what you have, like top to bottom, you know, if you have the right people in the right places in terms of the, the structure of your hockey operations department, you know, the players themselves, the prospects you have coming, coaches, like there's a lot to evaluate. Like you can't just come in and, you know, start making a bunch of moves. I mean, most GMs usually are take a little while to, uh, you'll make the obvious moves. You know, I think Ben Sherrod, for example, is a free agent, yes. probably probably a player that I think it's the type of player we see moved every year at the trade deadline. Like that's it. That's a sort of obvious move that you, you play that card, but in terms of bigger organizational decisions, that's going to take some time. And so, you know, why leave everyone just dwindling out here? You know, it's the elephant in the room. I think it will need to be addressed at some point soon. I want to mention one more Canadian team, uh, the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, we all know how good Connor McDavid has been. We all know how the Oilers have been. Uh, but we haven't talked all that much about Leon Dreisaitl and the fact that he uh, leads the league in goals and points. Uh, what do you think of I mean, McDavid? Also, shout out to him. He did reach 600 points in his career. But Leon Dreisaitl is also having himself a pretty good start to the year as well. What do you make of those two players? They're, they're pretty much Hart Trophy candidates right now. I'd love to see a situation where we're seeing those two duel throughout the entire season to figure out who wins the Hart Trophy. What do you make of these two guys and their starts so far? This is a problem I find we have in our sport, honestly. When guys set the bar as high as Dreisaitl and McDavid have in previous years, you know, won multiple Rocket Richards and Hearts and all that stuff, and 
it's almost like we've run out of ways to talk about them. Like it just becomes accepted wisdom that they're great and they're great offensive players. And, and everyone knows that, but I, I do think we might be sleeping on these guys a little bit, like how great they've been to start this year. You know, Leon Drysaddle is averaging over two points a game. You know, we're 14 games into the season. Like this is a not insignificant amount of time. Connor McDavid no. has a point in every single game the Oilers have played this year. Like they're both on pace for more than 150 points. Uh, Nikita Kucherov a couple of years ago had 128. That's the highest total we've seen in 25 years in the NHL. And these guys might beat them by 20 or 30. That's insane. It's bananas. You know, Drysaddle has 15 goals, I believe, in 14 games as a recording. Yes, 31 points. I don't think 50 and 50 is possible for anybody nowadays. Like, we're watching Alex Ovechkin, the greatest goal scorer probably ever. And he never really truly threatened that mark. Like, he's had times where he had like 25 through 25, give or take. But like he never really ever went at that. And, and you know, you look at Leon Dreisaitl's shooting percentage, it's around 30%. Like, I don't think there's any reasonable belief that he can actually challenge 50 and 50, but like he might score 60, which is pretty magical mark too in hockey now. Like, like Steven yeah. Stamkos did it early in his career. I think Ovechkin did it once. I think he got the 65, but like nobody, basically nobody gets the 60 anymore. And Dreisaitl will have a great chance. I still think Austin Matthews, I know he's had a slow start. Wouldn't surprise me if he gets hot and gets, you know, takes a similar kind of assault this year, but you know, all told like these guys are, you know, tonight is a hockey hall of fame induction ceremony. Like these guys are already hall of famers and they're like 25, like it's insane. Um, but I think you should appreciate the greatness in real time. It's kind of, kind of what I was thinking about. And, um, you know, I do think a little bit in the sport, we just go like, Oh yeah, well, McDavid, of course, but it's like, this is even better. He's got like 150 points his last 82 games played. Like it's insane. Um, and it's, it's not, there's no one else doing this in the league. What's cool is that they've about almost split 50, 50, their time playing together at five on five and not this year. So like sometimes they're together, sometimes they're compiling these points separately on different lines. You know, obviously they're both part of the best power play in the league and, and it's been the best power play in the league for a couple seasons now. And that's, that helps them, I think, reach totals that other guys can't get to. Um, but you know, there's something special going on there. And I think honestly, it should put a ton of pressure on their management. Um, there's pressure on every manager everywhere. Don't get me wrong, but to make sure that the right moves are made before the deadline to at least put the odds a little bit more in your favor of a long playoff run. Cause that's, that's the one thing they're missing in Edmonton, obviously something they're missing in Toronto, like, like a lot of places where you've got these great players, but we haven't seen them really have big magical Springs. I think that that's the sort of the next step for this group. Um, never get bored of Connor McDavid and extend, I extend that to Leon dry as well. Like a one, two punch. We haven't seen in quite some time, the national hockey league. If you they're had ruthless. to, they're, they're amazing. Like, 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 I also still think it's rather rough that ESPN, uh, they have not made a commitment to air more Oilers games on their main channels because they have the best player in the world, two of the best players in the world. I'm fine, it's at Edmonton, but they're the best players in the world. They sh- Americans should be able to watch them a little bit more regularly. I don't know how many times they get to watch Leafs games and watch Austin Matthews, but they should be able to watch Connor McDavid at least a couple of, a couple of times a year as well. Yeah, I remember a couple of years ago, NBC actually aired a game from Winnipeg, a Toronto-Winnipeg game. And just at that point in time, you had Patrick Laine was there. Uh, and like you had a lot of the best young star players in the league, essentially. And and I thought that was smart. I realized that maybe the average American is like flipping through their channels and going like Toronto and Winnipeg. What is this? Like they might think it's a CFL game or something. But, yeah. you know, it's, uh, you know, but like I do think that is one 
I'd love to see the sport market, the stars more. I think that there's been efforts made. Don't get me wrong. Um, but like, we got a lot of special players in this league and there's probably the two best literally are in Edmonton right now. Like, I don't think there's even a debate about that. Like I would put McKinnon really close to that conversation, even Matthews, but like right now this season, it's been dry and McDavid one, two, and it's not all because they're each getting second assists on the other good goals. Like they're individually driving play and it's, uh, it's pretty cool to watch. If, and I understand we hate doing predictions and stuff like that here, but I'm just going to break the rule once here. If you had to, I'm feeling uh, great on a Monday morning. Actually, you can bring any heat you want. I'll, I'll just, I'll play along today. I'm in a good mood. Be, be careful what you wish for CJ. Uh, right. If you had to uh, name one of them, the league MVP right now between McDavid and dry who do you pick? You're a jerk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I told you, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> I'm, I mean, probably Dreisaitl. I mean, he's playing on the same team. He's scoring more of the goals. He's got more of the points. But, you know, McDavid's the best player in the league. Like, it's not that I think he's better than McDavid, but I do think it's possible he's had a better 14 games by a hair. Um, I, I suspect, like, we can literally, as long as he's healthy, we can basically put Connor McDavid's name in a heart trophy for the next five years. Like, yeah. Like, what would be the over-under if we were gambling? Like, would three and a half? Like next five years, like this season and the next four, I would set the over under three and a half for Connor McDavid. And I'd probably take the over. Like I would bet that four of the next five years, he wins it. And then one year, who knows, like someone maybe goes bananas or new player enters a league that we, you know, isn't on our radar or something, but like, like this guy can basically just keep it at his house at this point. It's, it's Gretzky esque, honestly, like, like why even give it back? You know, just, just leave it there. We'll have the engraver stop by once a year and update it. and, And let's, let's do it that way. I'll, I'll take you up on the uh, the over as someone who does not gamble. Uh, I'll take that as a safe bet as far as I'm concerned. I want to hear in the Discord, are there any unders out there? Three and a half out of the next five. Will Connor go over or under that for our trophies? By the way, if you want to be on the uh, the SDPN Discord, sdpn.ca, we have a Discord button on the website. You can go check that out there. Uh, and hey, while you're here, you might as well subscribe to the YouTube page, subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. And leave a um, review. Apparently that helps the analytics, helps get yes. seen by people who don't know we're out there. So yes, please that. leave please leave a rating and review uh, wherever possible, wherever you listen to this show. Uh, Jack Eichel, he had artificial disc surgery Friday. Am I correct on that? He did, yeah. Rocky Mountain Spine Center in Denver. It wasn't supposed to be that long, right? Well, this is what I think is cool in a weird way. Like he waits eight months for this surgery and it takes like an hour to do Um, like pretty amazing surgery. That's been done. My, you know, I have a limited understanding of it. I've talked to people that really get it. I'm not a doctor, but you know, the fact that they can basically open him up, put an artificial disc in his neck and he walks out of the hospital the same day. Like, man, I think sometimes again, it's sort of like missing McDavid and dry We miss like the miracles around us in the world. Sometimes like that's, unbelievable and obviously there's still a long road back here for for jack eichel but you know he he walked out of the hospital on friday you know he's due to spend three weeks uh with mark Lindsay, which is a name you might be familiar with he's worked with a lot of famous athletes across different uh um different platforms including Connor mcdavid they made actually a documentary a couple years ago about the way he found unique way to treat Connor mcdavid and get him back healthy 
And mm-hmm. so he'll spend three weeks with Jack Eichel, essentially doing treatments on his neck and, and, you know, getting him back up to speed. And then, you know, he'll go to Vegas, spend time with the strength staff there, eventually get back on the ice, hopefully somewhere around Christmas time and just, you know, resume skating, obviously wouldn't be taking contact right away and, you know, go through the steps we would see a player go through before any injury. But, you know, the early indications are it went great, Julian. And I think it'll be cool to see him come back. Like it, there's, there seems to be some optimism, like it might, it might be on the low end of the three to five months that is sort of the quoted timeline out there versus the, the long one. And so, you know, whenever it happens, whether it's in late January or early March, I think it'll be cool to see Jack Eichel playing again. And, and, you know, this could become the Jack Eichel surgery. Like, like if this goes the way it is, like this might become how, you know, players that deal with similar issues in the future treat this. And like that, that's a, think of like the mag, like the magnitude of that outcome, because obviously this is a player who really had to stick by his conviction and, and, you know, it wasn't comfortable. I'm sure there's a lot of tough days in there when he didn't know what was going to happen, that that he might never play again, kind of the way you might feel when there's no resolution or no trade in sight. But, you know, now that he's got the procedure, I think it's all just like do follow the steps to get back healthy and get playing. So maybe so you mentioned three to five month timeline, maybe on the low end, any probably no chance he still makes the Olympic team, but definitely back in time for for a playoff run. For sure. I mean, the Golden Knights got to get there. I th- they're going to get healthier. You know, they got Mark Stone back. You know, they're going to get more players back uh, and and make the playoffs. But I, I, that seems like well within the accepted range of of when he'll be back. You know, the Olympics is interesting. That Team USA at last check is planning to announce the team around January 11th. Um, basically, there's a date January 10th where the NHL and the NHLPA can opt out of the Olympics with no no consequences. They basically just say, do you know what? We're having too big of a time with COVID here. We, we just, we're not going to do it. So once they get beyond that date, it's very unlikely they would opt out. It's kind of crazy how late that date is, given the games themselves are in February in Beijing. Um, it's like pulling out of a major deal, like literally at the, the 11th, 11th hour. 11th hour. But, you know, I think that that had to be in place because like we still are dealing with an unpredictable time. Like, look what's going on in Ottawa right now with all their COVID cases. Like that could happen to three teams in January. Like I'm, I'm really hoping that isn't the case of course, but let's be realistic. It's, it's certainly possible. And so they needed that late date. So anyway, if, if team USA is named the team January 11th or 12th or something like really close to that, like, I just don't know how much he can show, um, you know, that he's, that he's ready, that he, that he's able to do that because, you know, that will only have been two months from his surgery. Um, and so if he's not expected to play for three months, like I'm not going to say to me, you put him, if there's any belief that he can play in February, even if he hasn't played, you probably, you probably put him on the team. Like, remember everyone's taking an extra forward over to this tournament. I think you're, you're going to see teams take 14 forwards, eight defensemen and three goaltenders. And so, you know, if, I mean, worst case scenario, he gets there, he just can't get in a game. It might still be worth it because the upside. And so it's probably a little unrealistic to expect him back for the Olympics, but I don't think we can totally rule it out. And certainly in Jack's mind, that, that might be one of the things pushing him. You know, like we're talking about elite athletes here, right? Like these are people that are high, like they're wired to do the work every single day that's taken to be great. And obviously Jack's done that throughout his whole life. And I just wonder how, how driven that, that, that goal, that those dates might drive some of the work he does now in his, his rehab and his recovery. And as he gets skating again. And so, man, that would be, that would be a really cool story. I, I don't think the expectation should be that he will be there, but if he gets there, that would be pretty awesome. 
before we get to ask CJ, I will offer up my Vancouver Canucks Sedine twin hypothetical. Um, you do you have a vote for the Hockey Hall of Fame? You're not on the committee, right? No, it's like a 17 or 18 member panel. Um, it rotates like everyone does three year terms, so it's it's constantly sort of evolving. Uh, it's not the same fixed thing every year, and essentially it's entirely private, so we don't know who's ever truly nominated, if you know what I'm saying, but they go around the room and someone puts a name forward and then eventually there's a vote and you need two thirds majority to get in. So my math isn't good enough on this, but you need something like 14 out of 18 or 13 out of 18 people in the room to support your candidacy to get in. Um, So it's, it's a very secretive process. I've never been part of it. Uh, They do have some media members on there. So maybe one day, Um, but I don't have a lot of insight. I don't even try Like I, I think literally the people sign non-disclosure agreements that, that go in oh. that room. So maybe I'm not doing my job, but I, I, I know a few of those people, but I don't ever try to figure out what went on. I just kind of take it for face value. So let's imagine you are in this secret society known as yeah. the hall of fame voting committee. And uh, I don't, for, I'm not specific. I don't know the exact rules on how it works for player eligibility, but let's just imagine a world where the Sedin twi- the Sedin twins are in their final year of eligibility to make the hockey hall of fame. And only one of them can make it. It's down to you to make that decision between Daniel and Henrik. You can't vote for one and then hope that the other one will make it into the hall of fame the next year. Who do you pick between those two players to make it? I appreciate the spirit of your question, but I actually believe what made them great means they're either both in. I know, I know, I no, know, but, I know. Like, seriously, I know that's, but it, they literally played something like 92% of their ever minutes in the NHL together at five on five. Like, yes. I don't, I don't know that we've ever seen any two players in the history of the league be so tied together. And obviously it's because they're brothers, but they're drafted two and three together. But like, literally they played their whole careers essentially on the same line. And so anything they accomplished is directly related to each other. I don't, I don't see that as a failing. Like I'm not holding that against him, but they played the game differently than it was played at the time. They, they were puck possession maniacs before we sort of had that as sort of a stat that's measured in terms of course your shot attempts or however you, you capture it, but they, they were, they were ahead of their time and they did have a couple seasons in there where the Canucks were probably the best team in the league. Certainly one presence trophy <laughs> came within one afternoon in June or an evening in June of winning a Stanley cup in 2011. Mm-hmm. And I think that they were the best in the league at, for a window there. And so for me, they're both in and they're actually both first time eligible in June. Like I would, I think they should both go in now. Um, what's interesting about June, right. Is cause they didn't have a 2021 class. Right. There's now a double cohort in June. <laughs> And I actually think that's going to do two things. I mean, just a trickle down effect. We, we know why there wasn't a class in 2021. There's a pandemic and, and like, I'm not saying the hall did anything wrong here, but it's going to be harder for guys that have been passed over in years gone by to get in now because you got more of a squeeze on new players that are more recently retired that kind of have to go in. And, you know, I think this will be an interesting vote in June. You got both Sedins among those eligible. You've got Roberto Luongo, who I think is a no brainer. Right. Yeah. He's a no brainer. Uh, yeah. Addition. Uh, you got Rick Nash, who I think there's a debate about like his career was cut a little short, so he doesn't have some of the lifetime numbers he would have had. But I, I do think if you look at his best seasons, there's at least a debate there. International um, success too. It should matter. Right. Tons. Amazing success. Like I covered seven world hockey championships early in my career when I was working at the Canadian press. 
And Rick Nash was at a few of those tournaments and he was by far the best player. Like 2007 in particular in in Moscow, it was insane. And he actually scored a goal in the gold medal game. This is one of the coolest moments of my career, actually, Julian, like actually. So I covered that tournament for like a month in Moscow. I was really young reporter. Like you can imagine how much of a thrill that was for me in general, but there's so few other Canadian reporters there. There's really, there was uh, Ryan Rashog was there from TSN. TSN chose the games and a guy named Dan Barnes, who worked for the Edmonton journal uh, who since moved on from sports reporting. That was it for the Canadian media contingent, if you want to call us that. And so Canada won. they actually go perfect in that tournament. They win the gold medal game. And afterwards, they let us stand at the door of the dressing room uh, when Andy Reid, who's a Canadian coach, like addressed the team. And honestly, like you cover international hockey, like I, I honestly don't sit there cheering for Canada. Like I think just, again, the act of doing the job, like I'm worried about what I'm going to write about, what I'm going to ask. Like, like I'm sort of just breaking apart the game. But then I'm standing there in his dressing room. Uh, Rick Nash had scored a goal. It was against Finland, literally with a defenseman on his back. I'm not joking. I remember that goal. To highlight an MVP performance in this tournament. It was really kind of, it was a team Canada without a lot of stars on it other than Nash at the time. Um, and so they weren't expected to do much. I actually had a Jonathan Taves on it who had yet to play in the NHL. Uh, and he started as a 13th forward and was a regular member of the team, much like happened to him a couple years later in 2010 at the Olympics in Vancouver. I think those two things are related. Steve Eisen was actually the GM of that team. And then of course went on to be the GM uh, in Vancouver. And Andy Murray was a coach and he said something like, and this is just the team, but I just happened to be part of it. And, and he said when, you know, Rick Nash scored that goal, you know, he didn't just have that finished defenseman on his back. He had 32 million Canadians on his back. And, and it was just something about the way. And I think just after spending a month away from home, you know, when you're at an international event, you reflect on where you come from. Right. And like, I got emotional, honestly, like hearing that. And I still, it's still one of my favorite memories to this day um, that, you know, just covering being around that term was so cool. Anyway, I'm, I'm really on a tangent here. Um, but that, you know, is, that, is of... the, that is the coolest way anyone has ever tried to duck out of a question I asked. Well, <laughs> but honestly, it's funny. This is this is weird, too. Uh, I don't know how much I should share about this stuff. But so I covered sure. the Olympics in Sochi in 2014 as well. And, you know, there's a mixed zone. We, we speak to the athletes after they win. You know, I'd filed a story at the buzzer to sportsnet.ca because of the time difference. Like that game was played in the very early morning in the Eastern time. So the, the whole story was going to have to be rewritten with quotes and, you know, re- it, so I had time, you know, yeah. usually this, the, usually I wouldn't have this kind of time if this was on Eastern deadlines. And, and I bumped into Bob Nicholson, who at the time was running hockey Canada. And he had seen me at those seven world championships and knew I'd been around. And he's like, come with me. And he literally brought me into this room. It's like a little bar uh, that was in the, the arena in Sochi there. And that's where they were having like the post-game celebration. And it was like all the staff and and the players and and some of their families that had come over. And, you know, it wasn't actually like it wasn't wild or anything. No one was spraying champagne or anything like that. You know, frankly, they were all about to get back on a flight to North America and resume the NHL season. But I I can't remember. I was with a few people that I'd known well. And then I actually had like a beer at the same table, standing at the same table as Rick Nash. And I mentioned to him. Like, I was like, Hey, like last time I was in Russia with you, you, you know, 2007. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I've been to Russia twice. I left with two gold medals. And I'm never coming back or something like that. It was, just, <laughs> it was so cool. Cause you know, Rick is a very serious guy um, or just oh, really? you know, not outwardly emotional or, you know what I'm saying? But I could tell the pride he had in that moment. And, you know, he was someone who did a lot internationally. And, and so you're smart to bring that up, Julian, because 
you know, I don't know, not being in that room, I don't know how the individuals on, on the committee feel about sort of the hockey hall of fame aspect of this, what happens not in the NHL. Um, but you know, Rick, Rick really has a strong resume from, from those numerous international events he played in. And he's got a bunch of gold medals hanging somewhere in his house too. So the biggest takeaway from these last few moments here, you feel that with the, the Sedin twins, it's either both of them are going in or none of them are going in. And if you somehow to vote for uh, who could make it to the hockey hall of fame, you might carry the biggest stick for, for Rick Nash here. You might carry the biggest sign I mean- to get him in. To be fair, I haven't broken it down. Like I haven't really looked at like his career goals per game and what has traditionally been the standard. Like I haven't done that work, but I certainly think he's worthy of the conversation because he was also without question, one of the best players in the world when he was at his best in the NHL. Like, you know, I believe he won the rocket Richard trophy in like a second season. Like he, you know, he's got individual success. I, I realize he played in Columbus at a time when the Blue Jackets weren't necessarily that great. Like, it's actually pretty fitting. I don't know if you saw last week, they're going to make his number, the first number retired. And, and the Blue Jackets did a fantastic job the way they told him about that in the dressing room. They went around, his kids came in. It was really sweet video. You, you should check out if, if you haven't seen it. Um, but, you know, for me, he's, I, I think he's there, but, you know, I'll leave it up to the experts. I'm not an expert on on that just yet. We are well past the 30-minute bell, so it's time for uh, Ask CJ. Um, did you see someone made like a jingle for ask CJ? The last time we did the episode, we did an episode on Monday. I said, we should get a, a jingle for ask CJ. Did you hear it? Jesse passed it along to us. I forget who made it. I'm sorry. I don't have the name, but did you hear the jingle? I did. It was bringing some like funny vibes. It wasn't what I expected, put it that way. It, w- it was sort of like sensual rather than like, goofy. <laughs> yes. yeah, I don't Can we play it on the show. Are we allowed? Yeah, are we allowed to do that? Uh, Jesse, if we're allowed, let's play it here because you really need to hear it to understand our take on it. All right, so this is the part of the podcast where you will hear the jingle. I'll just take a beat so you guys could hear it. You auto-tune if you have to. Oh, save that. Y'all better save that. That was really good. Still can't get that into it. <laughs> All right. Now you know exactly what we mean uh, by the sensual vibes. (laughs) (laughs) But I appreciate, I just love that there's people out there listening that that would bother to do that. Honestly, like I'm so blown away by the reaction we've gotten to this podcast and just like how cool it is. Like it feels like we got a bunch of new friends out there in the universe. So thanks for listening, honestly, anyone. And thanks for contributing. Cause like once a day I'm laughing at like, whether it's the the memes that come through my timeline or just, just some of the stuff people pick up on, like it literally like it's, it's awesome. So thanks for everyone who's given us your time and your, your, your thoughts. Thank you guys. And thank you to everyone who submitted questions for this week's edition of ask CJ. Let's start right, on let's hum, Twitter. Let's hum through them. I'll be quicker. I'll be a little more concise in my answer. So we can get to more questions. Um, from Euler fan underscore bill on Twitter, what goaltender do you foresee the Oilers acquiring before the trade deadline? Well, Mark Andre Fleury just makes too much sense, doesn't it? it he does. He absolutely so does. I'm going to say Mark Andre Fleury. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion by any stretch, but you know, if we're going to connect, if we're going to connect two two dots that make a lot of sense, that makes a lot of sense. Mark Andre Fleury is on an expiring contract. You know, he's still been a top flight goaltender as recently as last season when he won the Vezina Trophy. He's in Chicago where things have gone wrong. Things are pretty and, bad. And Edmonton could probably use 
for sure, I expect them to get a goaltender, another goaltender before the trade deadline. Like, I'm not saying that's just happened next week, but you know, I, I just think that there's, there's a pairing to be made there and we'll just see if, uh, if it plays out. I mean, look at the cap plays into it. Toilers, you know, probably got to ship some money out in that kind of deal or get Chicago to, to retain or have them, you know, f- trade it through a third team or that team retains, you know, it's, it's not, uh, but it's too obvious to ignore. So I'm going to say Marc-Andre Fleury because I don't have a better thought at the moment. Uh, next one from Nico Trouty on Twitter. What's your favorite moment from one of the Hockey Hall of Fame inductees this year? Joe McGinley's on that list. Marion Host is on that list. Kevin Lowe's there. Uh, I actually wrote Kim, this. Kim St. Pierre is there too. I wrote this inside the NHL in my column that, that appears at the Toronto Star on Monday. You know, I did Jerome McGinley's top five moments. Like I'm at the age now. This is actually kind of one of the cool things about getting older is like the players going in, a lot of them, I, I like literally witnessed their whole careers. Like Jerome McGinley, I remember when he was on the world junior team, I remember when he got called up and, and played his first game in the playoffs and scored a goal, like straight from the WHL. Um, and so I have like a different perspective on their careers, you know, even Kevin Lowe and Doug Wilson, this is sort of a strange year because they both retired a long time ago. Like I missed their best years as a hot, like I just, I was alive maybe, but I wasn't conscious. You weren't old enough. Well, and honestly in the eighties and even into the nineties, like if you lived in Ontario, which I did, you weren't, you couldn't get a lot of Edmonton Oilers games on TV. Like even if you wanted to, the ability to kind of watch those guys. And I wasn't, you know, I didn't get to go to games then. anyway, so I'm setting it up here for me. It's I'm not saying this is his best moment. I mean, his best moment might be Iggy Iggy to Sidney Crosby. I mean, I agree. It is. He literally feathered a pass into Canadian lore. You know what I mean? Like, like that's, that's probably got to be the topper. But for me, it's actually the 2002 Salt Lake city gold medal game. And Jerome was such a cool story back then because in 2001, for anyone that's maybe too young or doesn't remember this, Canada did its Olympic sort of orientation camp in the summer and someone got injured. I can't remember who it was, but Jerome wasn't even invited to that camp months before the Olympic tournament, but he was in Edmonton uh, in the off season. He drove up to Calgary, like just as a last minute call in, he ends up, you know, playing in that camp and sort of being under consideration by management. He has the best year of his career that follows. And in the gold medal game, the Canadian men's team hadn't won a gold medal in 50 years at, he was a beast. He scored two goals in that game. He was on the line with Joe Sackick. Both him and Sackick had big games. And that for me is just my personal favorite again, Ginla memory, just because he had gone from sort of not off the rate. He was off the radar. So he was a known player, as I mentioned, like he played in the world junior team. Like he's, but he, he went from like not being considered among the best players in the league to like being one of Canada's best player, if not his best player in the most important gold medal game to that point that, you know, Canada had played in 50 years. So it, like that was such a cool story. He's such a nice, relatable guy. And, and I watched that game with like 20 friends and family, like packed in my parents' living room. And like we went out and drove our cars around and honked horns and Coburg back then. You know, I was still a university student at that point. And just, I, it's just a really fond memory. And Jerome obviously was one of the central figures in that gold medal game. That's, that's really awesome. I, I was like maybe seven or eight during that game. I don't, my yeah. memories of that game are not as as vibrant as 2010, but for me, him doing Iggy and then leading to the Sydney Crosby golden goal, that goes down as my favorite Jerome McGillan moment. And it might uh, be his yeah. too, quite honestly. Right. It's it just, might be yes. But you know, I, I attended the 2010 game sitting in the sixth row covering it. Like, it, and so 
well, I was like, it was a really cool moment to be sort of to wit- bear witness to. It wasn't the same as when I was just a kid, a younger kid in my living room with all these people I care about getting excited about this one. Like there was so much hype for that game because Canada fell on its face a little bit in 98. I mean, it lost a shootout to Dominic Cassick. It wasn't like, but like everyone expected them to win the first gold medal in 98. So there was so much pressure leading into 02 and the team stunk out of the gate. They lost their first game to Sweden. Uh, I believe, did they have a tie with Germany or something? Anyway, it, I, it, they, they faced some adversity. Wayne Gretzky gives that speech. He's their GM that, that kind of went down in, in lore. And then, you know, again, it was just, it was a magical afternoon. Honestly, it was really, it was really cool just to see Canada win that gold medal. Like I know they've since won two more. Um, so, so maybe O2 gets forgotten a little bit, but if you're of the right age, I think you'll have a fondness for it, I guess, if, if you know, and, and I do. Uh, the next question has to do with the team that originally drafted Drew McGinley, the Dallas yeah. Stars, from MB Tendy on Twitter. What do you think of the Stars right now, and will they break out of their funk? Well, Rick Bonus did a 29-second post-game uh, media availability last week, and that's not a good sign. Mm-mm-mm. I believe Dallas doesn't have a win in regulation yet. I th- yeah, I, I remember someone mentioning that. I was like, really? Now they play in so many tight games, right? Like they don't produce a, a lot offensively. And even last year, like they, they play a lot of overtime slash shootout games. I, I think I, I'm not that confident they'll get out of it, quite honestly. Um, and I don't know what they do. I mean, they, they were so like that style suited them. You know, they, they went through the bubble playoffs and had a long run there and got to the Stanley Cup final against Tampa in 2020. Uh, last year, honestly, I, I give them a mulligan on just with all the stuff they dealt with, a huge COVID outbreak at the start of the season. They had games canceled uh, due to a winter storm that, that knocked out the power. And, and you know, yeah. they just there's, it was just a mess of a year. They had injuries and the whole bit. Um, but, you know, I just wonder now if they just – some of their best players are seeing some age-related decline. Um, but they do play a stingy way. And, and that can have success in the playoffs again. They just got to find their way back there. But it just, it feels like they need a little bit of a shakeup. And we'll see if Jim Nell can pull one off. This next one is from Discord. Uh, I'm sorry if I get your name wrong here. Samo Laid Law. That's just the name on Discord here. Question for CJ and Julian. As someone who wants to pursue a career in sports journalism and media, what should be my first step? There's actually a little bit more of a blurb here. Uh, I'll actually just read this out, actually. I'm especially curious in the education both of you received, and if you feel it was worth it, I'm currently writing for my university student newspaper, but considered transferring to a journalism-specific school. Would this be a good decision? It's not a one-size-fits-all, right? And like I went to a journalism school at Ryerson University in Toronto. It was 20 years ago, so it's, I think, a different media environment. Like I'm not sure that it's that relevant in a sense to, to someone making this decision today. But I, I feel like the job experience I got is by far the most important thing. And so, you know, I was very fortunate. I, I went to journalism school at Ryerson. I got a job at the Canadian press when I was 18 years old, still working on their sports desk, doing a lot of editing, writing sh- small stories and this and that covering junior hockey. But, you know, I got to be around the people that do it for a living. Like that's where I met Pierre Lebrun and, you know, brought him on as you know, he became a mentor to me, you know, especially early in my career. And so I think if you're getting the experience at the student newspaper, I mean, it just, it depends. Like, do you feel like you're able to grow there? Are there people there that can help you get better? Like my advice to anyone who wants to do this is just find any way you possibly can to start doing it, whether that's starting your own podcast, 
you know, writing at a student paper, if there's ways you can, heck, you know, go compete with Steve Dangle on YouTube. I mean, good luck to you, but (laughs) any any way that you can do it and learn like nothing, there's no substitute for doing, there just isn't. And we're all cringy. (laughs) Like if I went back and read something I wrote 20 years ago, it'd be really bad. And and probably even if I went back and watched my first hockey night in Canada Saturday, I would think I was really bad. And like, you can, it's okay. And I don't mean to make fun of myself, but what I'm saying is that you have to start somewhere. You have to be consistent with your effort and you have to get better all the time, forever. You have to try new things. And so if you feel like you're in a spot at that student newspaper where you're learning and where people are helping you learn, like throw your everything into it and be great at it and find other ways, like, you know, be open to new platforms and other ways to express yourself. And so I personally don't think a journalism degree is required. It's not to say that it isn't a good way. Like, it's a chicken and egg for me going to journalism school got me the job. Like if I didn't, if I didn't, if I wasn't enrolled at Ryerson journalism school, I don't think the Canadian press is bringing me in even as a student intern. So that, that was a means to an end, but if you have a job or if you have an in, in the industry already, like I'm not sure you need the training because the training really gets done on the job. Couldn't have said it better myself. Honestly, couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, the last question I'll offer up, uh, Tiago King, Crab King of Christmas, if that's the name on Discord, I guess. Would you and CJ have to do the Hot Ones Challenge, but with pickles? Would you, I guess, essentially, would you do the Hot Ones? So, essentially, instead of chicken wings, would you put the pot sauces on pickles? I love pickles. So, I'm open to that. It's just the hot sauce I'm worried about, as I told you, though. Like, I just, I, I would be, I would be a puddle. I would be terrible. It would be really bad viewing. Um, I would need all the napkins in my house and then some. I'd have to go buy extra napkins. Okay. So but so, I, I would do it on pickles though. I'm I'm very pro pickle. Okay. All right. So uh hot woods gauntlet pickle edition coming to a CJ show near you. I'm half kidding. Uh but with that, that's gonna do it for Ask CJ, and that's gonna do it for the Chris Johnston show. Another one in the books, my friend. It it was fun today. It felt a little lighter, maybe, you know, just a lot, a lot of heaviness the last few weeks. I'm not saying we're past that, but like, I just, I'm, I'm really excited. Quite honestly, I'm going to the hockey hall of fame induction ceremony tonight. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite days of the year, every year, just cause it's, it's sort of like seeing old friends, right? There's a lot of people that come to that each year that I don't see or even necessarily talk to throughout the year. It's a celebration of the sport in general, the industry. Um, you know, obviously very special evening for the people that are, are being inducted and it just kind of feels like old home week. And, and we haven't had this for two years. Like, you know, I don't know how you're coping with your mentals, bud, but like, I just, it, I've, I've found even recently, like the pandemic still weighing on me a little bit. And just the idea mm-hmm. that I can go and see some people I haven't seen in a while, uh, keep some social distance, I suppose, wear my mask, but it'd be nice to connect with, with old friends. Yeah, man. Take advantage of that. Honestly, uh, just any opportunity I get to kind of be around people. I, I take advantage of that just cause you know, being holed up inside your place for however months long, this pandemic is raged on for, I, I just take advantage of social contact. That's why seeing you last week was like so cool and, and meeting up with the rest of SDPN and, and the athletic no, people. Like what energy, that. eh? Like just doing it in the same room together. Like, you know, I feel like I don't see anyone. It's so, it's just still not totally normal. You know, I, I realize we might have listeners in other parts of the world where maybe you're like listening to this going like, what are you talking about? But like, we're still fairly locked down in a lot of ways. And I think even people's habits have just changed through this too. Yeah. Like, you know, everyone got a little older. I don't know. I'm just seeing my friends a little less. Like I, I'm trying to find ways to address that, but obviously everyone's busy and, and 
yeah. So I, I, I kind of miss the the vibe of human contact. And so I'm excited that we're going to get it tonight with, with the hockey world. And uh, I wish you a good night with that. And I hope for everyone else listening to our podcast that uh, this podcast has been a source of light for you guys because we we enjoy doing this and we've enjoyed all the different fans who have, you know, tweeted at us and messaged us in some way being like, hey, you guys are doing a great job with the podcast. So we really appreciate it. And, all uh, you over know, the so, world, dude, man. Like that's what crazy. my mind. Like Australia too. Like it's nuts. Like it's, I mean, again, it's like the little miracles around us we forget about. Like how else in, could we ever really transmit our work to Australia, but this, this makes it so seamless and easy. And so anyone who's listening to us, especially far away, I hope you can be your connection to home. If you're an expat or just, you know, give you an, an, a window into the NHL. I lived a year of my life in London, England, uh, just after university. And like, I, I, it felt far, even though it's not that far and it's a very, it was a great place to live. But like, I, I understand sometimes like missing just the day-to-day home feel. And, and so hopefully we're, we're providing that if you're, if you're listening to us way over uh, on, a, on the other side of an ocean. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, subscribe to the YouTube page. Uh, just hang out on SDPN, uh, download their app as well, because uh, there's some cool stuff there. Hey, maybe we'll do enough episodes and we'll get our own CJ radio like they have for the Steve Dangle podcast. Uh, pretty interesting for them to be able to do that. Uh, you get to listen to some old episodes. Hey, you might even have an opportunity where you just go on that page and you stumble upon one of the many Chris Johnston appearances on the SDP. Uh, which have been pretty good throughout his career over the last like five years you've appeared on that podcast. Yeah. It's been a while though. I wonder maybe they've like forgotten my number now that I work for them. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Hasn't been any invitations back in a while. (laughs) Don't worry. You'll, you'll end up back on the podcast sooner than later for CJ. Maybe I just in Adam's bad books. Sorry to, sorry to cut you off on the finish there, but maybe Adam isn't isn't like in the length of these episodes. He's like, we're not bringing this guy in to blow up our our pod. (laughs) Yeah. The podcast is going to be like three hours long. (laughs) (laughs) For CJ, I'm Julian Singh. So long. And peace. We'll be back Thursday. Peace. The Chris Johnston Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK and McKenzie.